Chapter Two of George Washington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. George Washington by Callista McCabe Courtney. Chapter Two. Washington appointed a member of General Braddock's staff. French and Indian War. Washington made commander of Virginia forces. Causes of the American Revolution. Washington a member of the First Continental Congress. 1755 to 1775. Early in the following year, 1775, England sent out General Braddock and a thousand soldiers trained in battle to take Fort Duquesne and drive the French from the Ohio Valley. Washington was appointed a member of his staff. General Braddock was a brave and experienced soldier, but he knew nothing of warfare in a new country amid great forests and savage foes. He knew but one way to fight which he had learned in the orderly camps and wide fields of Europe, and felt that nobody could defeat his well-drilled soldiers. He thought Washington too young to give advice, and paid no attention to what he said. He looked with contempt upon the queerly dressed, untrained Virginia troops, whom he called raw recruits. Instead of being friendly and generous with the Indians, Braddock treated them coldly, and they left him. With much difficulty, the army and its supplies were brought over the mountains and approached Fort Duquesne early in July. As they drew near it, Braddock's men put on their scarlet uniforms and forded the river with bands playing and colors flying. It was the first time Washington ever saw a regular, well-disciplined army, and he enjoyed the sight, although he wondered how their orderly ranks were going to fight among the rocks and trees. Fearing an attack from the woods, he wanted to send Indian scouts and Virginia rangers ahead. General Braddock admired Washington, but could not help laughing at his fears. So he sent his soldiers gaily forward. Suddenly they were attacked in front. With hideous yells the Indians fell upon their flanks. All that General Braddock had learned of warfare was of little use to him now in the wilderness. But he was courageous and determined. Four horses were shot under him, and he was fatally wounded. Before he died, he praised the Virginians like a brave and true gentleman, and apologized to Washington for not heeding his advice. He left to him his horse and his servant. All the staff officers were killed but Washington. His splendid height and broad shoulders made him a fine target as he rode about the field trying to rally the men. His horses were killed under him, and his clothing was torn by bullets. An Indian chief said, a power mightier than we shielded him. He cannot die in battle. The contest ended in a terrible defeat for the English. The regulars were useless and frightened. The despised Virginians were brave, but too few in number to meet the enemy alone. The survivors retreated with the wounded to Fort Cumberland, Maryland. Washington had been twice defeated, but his courage and wisdom were so great that Virginia had made him commander-in-chief of her forces. His tasks were heavy for so young a man, he was only twenty-three at that time. He did the best he could under many difficulties, and raised and drilled a force of militia. While facing a common danger, the colonies were not united then in any way except under a governor-general sent out from England by the king. Washington had no authority over troops from any other colony, nor would officers commissioned by the king take orders from him. Naturally, all sorts of disputes arose, and finally Washington decided to go to Boston to put all these questions before Governor-General William Shirley. Two other young Virginia officers rode with him. It was midwinter. They had hundreds of miles of mud roads to travel. They had fine horses, and were attended by mounted black servants in livery. 
The story of Washington's bravery in Braddock's defeat was known throughout the country. When these three handsome young officers reached the cities along the way, they were splendidly entertained, for every one wanted to honor Washington. He wore fine clothes, and his appearance and manners delighted all who met him. General Shirley received him with favor and granted his requests. Word was brought that the French and Indians were attacking the settlers beyond the mountains. Washington hurried back to his command at Winchester. He was anxious to have the forces and supplies necessary to attack Fort Duquesne at once. But while the people were clamoring for protection, Washington was unable to help them on account of the unfair treatment of Governor Dinwiddie and the indifference of England. His force was too small and untrained to make an attempt against the French. But he remained patient and cheerful, and for almost two years he stood by the people who depended upon him. Then William Pitt became Prime Minister of England, 1757, and at once took an interest in the defense of the colonies. Washington was ordered to proceed against Fort Duquesne. That French garrison had been weakened by taking men and supplies to the battlefront on the north, where they were being defeated by the British. Before Washington reached the fort, the commandant set fire to it and fled. Washington planted the British flag upon the still-smoking ruins, and on the same site built Fort Pitt, which he named in honor of the great English statesman. This is where the city of Pittsburgh now stands. Thus ended the French occupation of the Ohio Valley. The many cares and hardships Washington had suffered had made him ill, and he returned to Mount Vernon, hoping that his military life was over. He was greatly loved and honored by his soldiers and his fellow countrymen. When Washington was twenty-seven years old, he married a charming young widow, Mrs. Martha Custis. The wedding took place January 6, 1759. Mrs. Custis had a little girl, Martha, four years old, and a little boy, John, who was six. Washington dearly loved these children, whom he taught and trained with great care. He and his wife were great favorites socially, and at their home, Mount Vernon, they entertained many guests. Here the Custis children met many of the prominent men of those days. One of these visitors was Louis-Philippe, the exiled king of France. Noticing how many letters Washington wrote, he asked him if he were not afraid of writing something he might regret. Washington answered that he was careful never to do or say a thing he could afterward be sorry for. Washington kept fine horses and dogs and was very fond of hunting. Although busy with the care of his great farms and his wife's large estate, he found time to follow the hounds. His wisdom and honesty were so trusted that, aside from his own affairs, other people gave him charge of theirs. He was often called upon to settle disputes, thus preventing lawsuits. He was a member of the Virginia Legislature, then called the House of Burgesses, of which he attended every meeting, and was careful to know all about the affairs of the colony. When he first took his seat in the Legislature, he was thanked for his military service to the colony. He rose to reply, but could only blush and stammer. The Speaker said, "'Sit down, Mr. Washington. Your modesty equals your valor.'" For fifteen years Washington led a peaceful and happy life with his family. He was kept busy looking after his vast estates. But then again the country began to claim his attention. George III was King of England. Under his rule, unjust laws were made for the colonies, which the wise men of America knew would destroy their rights. The colonies were not represented in the British Parliament where the laws were made, and so claimed that Parliament had no right to tax them. Needing money, England laid heavy taxes on the colonies, which they would not pay. After much trouble, 
all the taxes were taken off except the one on tea that was left to prove england's right to tax the colonies in the autumn of seventeen seventy three several ships were sent over loaded with tea which was to be sold very cheaply but the colonists refused to have tea at any price rather than submit to taxation without representation there can be no freedom in a land whose people may be taxed without their consent from several ports the ships were sent back in boston a party of citizens dressed as indians boarded the ships at night december sixteenth and threw all the tea into the harbor this is called the boston tea party the same violence occurred at annapolis maryland to punish the city of boston parliament passed a law that no ship should come in or go out of her harbor the port was closed and business stopped news of this was carried to the other colonies in virginia a day of fasting and prayer was appointed the people did not want to give up their liberties for which many had come to america it seemed on the other hand very dreadful to go to war with the mother country the colonies were independent of one another but knew they must stand together against the injustice of england meetings were held in each colony to talk matters over and it was decided to hold a general congress made up of men selected by each colony in the virginia convention washington was one of the first to say that the colonies ought to be allowed to govern themselves make their own laws and decide their own taxes he was usually very quiet in all that he said and did but the wrongs of boston had so stirred him that he made a fiery speech he said he would raise a thousand men pay them himself and march at their head to the relief of boston he said he had hoped that there would be no break with england and he shrank from the horror of war but now he began to feel that it could not be avoided and if so no sacrifice was too great to preserve the liberties of america for the millions who would some day call it their home he was one of several delegates chosen to represent virginia in the general congress which was held at carpenter's hall in philadelphia september fifth seventeen seventy four there were fifty-two members the ablest men of all the colonies some one asked patrick henry who was the greatest man among them and he said colonel washington if you speak of solid information and sound judgment these men met not as members of separate colonies but as americans with one country and one cause each meeting was opened with a prayer not often in the whole history of the world have men had to decide more important and difficult questions for almost two months they discussed all the points in which they believed they were wronged by england they were careful and just in all that they said they wanted to keep peace none of them wished to be independent of england neither were they willing to submit to injustice and the loss of their rights and privileges they wrote a petition to the king and letters to the people of england and of canada these papers were very fair and wise and showed the noble minds and loyal hearts of those early great americans they were not rebelling they were simply declaring their rights in reply england only passed more unjust laws the spirit of revolt spread through the colonies militia was organized some were called minute men because they promised to leave everything and go to war at a minute's notice months passed in active preparations military stores were collected the patriots were determined to face death rather than submit longer to british oppression meanwhile the british general gage stationed in boston with four thousand british soldiers decided to surprise and take by night the supplies of the militia in concord twenty miles away dr joseph warren one of the patriots heard of it 
and secretly sent Paul Revere galloping out of Boston on a fast horse to awaken the people along the way and carry the alarm to Concord. When the British reached Lexington, about nine miles from Boston, they found seventy or eighty citizens armed and waiting for them in the darkness. Early in the morning of the 19th of April, 1775, the first battle of the great American Revolution was fought, the Battle of Lexington. The trained soldiers of England soon scattered the handful of patriots at Lexington and Concord, but as the day wore on they were joined by other patriots, and by the night of April 20th General Gage found himself besieged in Boston by a rustic army of sixteen thousand men. The news of the battle spread rapidly and spurred the colonies to instant and bitter war. Washington said that the once happy America must be drenched in blood, or inhabited by slaves, and that no true man could hesitate to choose death for himself, rather than slavery for his country. He was at Mount Vernon when the sad news came, getting ready to attend the Second Congress. End of chapter 2 Recording by Bill Borst